Well, good morning. And lead us not into temptation. Is there any other prayer that's more frequently prayed and less often meant? Lead us not into temptation. You know, as human beings, we so like to be led into temptation, don't we? Whether it's donuts or TV or whatever. Advertisers count on our willingness to be led into temptation. They, they wouldn't know what to do if there ever came a day when we really didn't want to be led into temptation. Consider, for example, the way that advertisers work. They sell music, movies, TV shows, and food using the word temptation as part of the ad, sometimes even as part of the title. James Witchell, who's a professor at the University of Florida, has argued that our age is being defined by increasing levels of consumption. And that today this purchasing of things has replaced family and religion as that which most marks and identifies us. You are what you buy, would be a summary of his cultural observations. And if that's the case, that begs the question, then what are we buying? Well, brand names have gone from the inside of the collars to the outside of the shirts now, haven't they? Because we're in some ways purchasing identity when we go and buy things and we wear certain things and we drive certain things and we eat at certain places. And while various folks have taken exception to his arguments, it's undoubtedly true that we live in an age where we as consumers believe certain promises made to us regarding our self-worth, our identity, all available simply by the purchase of a new car, certain shoes, certain clothes, cosmetic surgery, or whatever. Winchell goes on to say that we make our new identity by shopping, and our identity dealers are marketers, advertisers, pop culture, and celebrities. They tell us what we must have, they tell us what we must wear, what we must own, where we must go, what we must think, what we must believe, if we want to be somebody, and if we want to be with it, if we want to matter. And most commercials, some subtle, not so subtle, aim to make the things that they're selling appealing, irresistible, and yes, tempting. As you know in the Bible, temptation is, is a negative thing. It's something to be avoided, isn't it? Now, there are a few passages granted in the Bible where it talks about God tempting his people, but those passages are more appropriately interpreted as God testing or God trying his people. Meanwhile, the temptations that are most famous in the Bible are temptations to do evil, like in Genesis 2, where where Satan tempts Adam and Eve, and, and in Luke 4, where Satan tempts Jesus Christ when he's fasting and, and, seeking, and seeking direction in, in the desert. And in both cases, Satan is the primary tempter. He found a way to appeal to Adam and Eve to not trust in God's promises, to not trust in God's words, in God's word, because that's, in essence, the core of temptation, isn't it? All temptations go back to the core of, do you, do you trust in God or do, do you not? Do you trust in God to provide a mate? Do you trust in God to give you a job? Do you trust in God to whatever and so on and so forth? And so Satan appeals to Adam and Eve not to trust in God, and it works. And then he goes and he tries to tempt Jesus. When he appeals to Jesus for the very basic human need of food, for recognition, and for power. 
dealing with the topic of temptation, a question that would really behoove us to ask ourselves personally is, what am I tempted by? What do people need to do to appeal to you? You can be certain that millions of dollars have been spent trying to figure that out, how to appeal to you and to me in order to buy or buy into what is being sold, promoted, or touted as something you must have, must believe, something you absolutely need if you want the good life. Now, I'm guessing, looking at it, all of you this day, most of you are pretty frugal. Most of you probably would say, I don't spend frivolously. And uh, I'm pretty discerning about what our wants and what our needs. So marketers can appeal to us all they want, but for the most part, we ain't buying. Maybe so. But still, if we're honest with ourselves, there are areas in which we are tempted. If we look at our heart, if we look at our lives and our minds, What are the things that appeal to you? What temptations do you face? And once we've identified them, how do we overcome them? How do we avoid them? Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to the book of Proverbs as we continue our sermon series, our summer sermon series, Living Wisely. You'll find Proverbs right after the book of Psalms. Proverbs. And the passage that was just read a few minutes ago by Steve... uh, is much like the first few several chapters of Proverbs. It takes the form of a, of a teacher or a parent, a father, who is urging his student or son to listen, to follow, to persevere, and to avoid. He's urging him to listen to his advice, to follow the right path, to persevere in following that right path, to avoid temptation. And chapter 4 kind of deals with with the topic in general. But I'm going to ask you to turn a couple chapters over to chapter 7, where the teacher in Proverbs hones in and gives us a specific example, a case study, I guess you could say, in the topic of temptation. So turn with me, if you would, to chapter 7. Verse 1. My son, keep my words and store up my commands within you. Keep my commands and you will live. Guard my teachings as the apple of my eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Now, in this passage, we have the picture of a father or a teacher talking to a son or student about temptation. And he uses this this very earthy um, example straight from everyday life. In this case, there's a morally compromised, seductive woman, a married woman, no less, who's lying in wait at the end of the street. And she's experienced and she's cunning She has no shame, and she's got her eyes set on a young man who's wandering down the street, naive, gullible, tending toward foolishness. As a teacher speaks to a student, he describes what happens. Verse 10, Then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute and with crafty intent. Verse 13, She took a hold of him and kissed him. Verse 18, Come, let's drink deep of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. My husband is not home. He has gone on a long journey and will not be home till full moon. With persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. We might feel a little bit sorry for this guy, this poor guy. After all, at first blush, it's it's no match. He's outgunned. She's a pro in the ways of the world. He's a novice, probably a teenager. She sets him up, looking all pretty, talking seductively, offering him what most guys dream about, and she comes on strongly. She grabs him and she kisses him. And yet, 
though she is the seductress, though she is the instigator, as we look at the passage, we see that he's also a willing party. He's out at twilight, it says, verse 9, as the day was fading, as the dark of night set in. He's walking toward her house, and no doubt she probably had a bit of a a well-earned reputation in town. And yet as darkness falls on the land, darkness also falls on his heart and his mind, and he can't see straight. And instead of avoiding temptation, he walks straight into it with grave consequences. All at once, verse 22, like a deer stepping into a noose till an arrow pierces his liver, little knowing it will cost him his life. And then the teacher finishes his object lesson by coming full circle. Verse 24, Now then, my sons, listen to me. Pay attention to what I say. Do not let your heart turn to her ways or stray into her paths. In other words, Watch out. Be wary of temptation. What may seem exciting, alluring, a little dangerous, a little exotic, a little adventurous may in fact lead to painful, awful consequences. In the case of the young man of Proverbs 7, it led to his ruin and his death. You know, the truth about sin is that it does not present itself with the end in view. For example, cigarette companies don't leave their ads with a surgeon general's warning that smoking cigarettes has proven to cause lung cancer and death. That's not how they lead their ads. They have to end with it because of federal law, but they don't begin it that way because they don't want you to think about the end. Just the now. Just the satisfaction. Just the pleasure. And that's the way sin does it too. The Bible tells us to always keep the end in mind. To always look at the consequences of our actions, the natural outcomes of our attitudes and values, the path that our choices will take us down. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, probably the best-known proverb, says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and what? He will direct your path. The path of sin, Romans 6, 23 tells us, leads to death as does Proverbs 7. By its nature, sin is destructive and deceitful. It'll tell you just enough that you think it's being honest with you and that you have the whole picture and that you've got it under control. But it doesn't tell you everything. For example, you can say, I know it's wrong. I know it's probably not right to have sexual relations outside of marriage. I know it's wrong. I feel guilty, but as long as nobody finds out, What's the harm? Well, there's the inevitable damage done to your soul and the distance you begin to feel from God. There is the distance you begin to feel from loved ones because of your secret. There's the harm you're doing to the other person by drawing them in to make them accomplice to your sin. And it's often the case when one is intentionally deceitful or sinful in one area of their life it becomes that much easier to deceive and to sin in other areas. Now, we all sin. It's true. None of us is perfect. That's also true. And that means that all of us will struggle at one time or another with with temptation. And probably for most of us, there's going to be different temptations that I struggle with or you struggle with that, that, that another person doesn't struggle with. But we all struggle with temptation at different times. We're all tempted not to trust in what God has for us as being good and best, but to think that what the world offers, what somebody else offers, or what we want right now 
is better than doing it God's way. Whether it's sexual in nature or the use of our words to lie, slander, hurt, it's temptation to be proud, to be selfish with our time, money, or possessions. Whatever they might be, they're temptations that we struggle with. And how do we gain victory over them? To find help this morning, we're going to look at another passage of Scripture. Uh, it's kind of a corollary passage. It deals with temptation as well. And this time, we're going to look at the, to kind of tie this together, is, is look at the, the first chapter of the book of James. So if you could turn there, that's towards the end of the Bible, right after the book of Hebrews. Just a couple of books before the end of the Bible. Where Proverbs 7 gives us a, a picture of how temptation works, James 1 will give us some principles which will help us avoid ending up like that young man, trapped in whatever particular temptation we face. So James chapter 1. And the first principle that we pull out of this passage is that God is not the source of our temptation. God is not the source of our temptation. Look at verses 13 through 14. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Now in the first 12 verses, James deals with how to overcome trials, those external pressures and circumstances that come from outside that are designed to develop us and strengthen us, uh, purify us. But in verses 13 through 18, James shifts his, fo- shifts his focus from how to handle trials to how to handle temptations. And while trials are designed to develop us and strengthen us and grow us, temptations are designed to destroy us and to pull us down. And while trials are external pressures that are put upon us, temptations are internal desires that well up from within inside of us. And James says the first thing we need to understand is that God is not the source of our temptations. Now, somebody could ask, why is that so important for us to, to establish? Well, it's important because a lot of us, at times, can tend to blame God, either directly or indirectly, for the messes that we get ourselves into. For instance, we may say something along these lines, God, or, or Pastor, you, you don't understand, God made me like this. If God didn't want me to do that, he wouldn't have made me this way. He made me with a temper. He made me with an addictive personality. He made me really stubborn. He made me with these sexual urges. But here's the fact of the matter. We were all born in sin and shaped in iniquity. None of us grew up doing right. We all have certain tendencies, specific areas where we are weak or we are vulnerable. When we think about it as children, we have to be taught the difference between right and wrong. No matter how cute or how wonderful, when we bring them home from the hospital, eventually they're going to do something wrong. They're going to hit somebody, take something, cry and fuss when they don't get their way. We have to be taught how to do right. James says that God will not tempt. Neither is he tempted to do evil. In other words, it's not in God to try to bring you to fall because temptations are designed to destroy you. And God does not want to destroy you. He wants to build you up. He wants to develop you. He wants to grow you. In fact, if we want to look for somebody to blame for the mess we're in, the first step in avoiding and defeating temptation is taking full responsibility and looking in the mirror. We are where we are because we've been drawn away by our own desires 
Now, the words drawn away and enticed used here in, in James 1 refer to hunting or fishing in which you take a substitute item that's not the real thing and you make it look like the real thing so you can capture the, the fish or, or whatever you're trying to capture. So you go fishing. You don't buy bait and you throw it in the, and throw it in the water because you're not out to feed fish. You're to, out to catch fish. And so you put the bait on the hook, you throw it in the water, and you hope the fish is so focused on the bait it does not see the hook. And you capture it. Pretty simple, right? He's been drawn away, and if he does come out, he's been drawn away from what is safe, and he's been lured into something which will lead to his death. Some of his fish with lures. A lure is designed to look like the real thing. You throw it out there and you wiggle it, you move your wrist to make it look like a, like a little fish. And once the fish takes it, he finds out it's not the real thing. It's a substitute. But it's too late because he's been hooked. Temptation is, is the same way. It's a lure that Satan throws out there and he jiggles it. He kind of presents it the right way. It gather, catch, catches the light or whatever. And it's attractive. And we want it. And we don't look beyond and see if there's a hook. A hook that's going to grab us and lead us into something painful and destructive and, and awful. He makes it look real. And we can tend to, we can tend to fall for it. For instance, if you're a single person and you see a great guy or a great gal and you connect at a heart level and you really like each other and have a lot of things in common, but they do not share your faith in Christ, they don't want anything to do with it, it's really easy to say, it looks like the real deal. We love each other and fall for the, for the bait. Or at school or at work, you want to get ahead, you want to get success, you want to be successful and everybody else is doing it, you look at a shortcut, it, it really won't hurt, and you, you don't look beyond the consequences of doing things against God's way. James says it's our own desire. We are tempted because we look at something that we want, that we have to have, that we feel entitled to, and we jump at it, and we end up getting hooked. The source of temptation is not from God. It wells up from within us. And that's the first step in avoiding and having victory over temptation is taking responsibility by looking in the mirror. The second principle is, is um, falling prey to temptation involves a series of steps. And it's helpful for us to understand how it works. Look at verses 15 and 16. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. It, James says it starts with desire. We look, we see, we assess. For instance, you can say, that's a beautiful woman. That's a good-looking guy. That's simply an assessment, a statement of fact. Nothing wrong with that. However, if we let our eyes and our thoughts linger, it begins to turn to want. It begins to turn to desire. And it triggers a downward path into temptation. Now, the desire is legitimate. God has created us with sexual desires and physical attractions, but that desire is only to be expressed in the marriage relationship between a man and a woman. And when we tread outside the lines that God has drawn for us, whatever the area of our lives, when we place ourselves in dangerous situations, it will inevitably lead to heartache, pain, and yes, even sometimes death. 
A few years back, the Associated Press ran a, a rather fascinating but very tragic story. Um, a frantic 911 call from a lady in a home brought the police. All they could get out of her was that she was she needed help and she was being killed. When they arrived, they found a bloody knife beside her lifeless body on the floor in the kitchen. Blood was everywhere, but when they examined her body, they found not a single cut or puncture wound. They were befuddled, but then they noticed a, a trail of blood that led into another room. And they followed it, and they found in there a huge dying boa constrictor. Apparently, the woman had raised the snake as a pet from when it was small and treated it pretty, uh, pretty casually. And on this day, she had been in the kitchen cooking when the snake began to wrap itself around her. She let it do it, but began to panic when the snake began to then coil and tighten and constrict around her body. And she grabbed a knife and hacked at it and slashed at it. And while it managed to mortally wound it, she was killed herself in the process. Now, this is a tragic story but it's a vivid example of the power of sin in our lives. We often take subtle compromises into our lives as an innocent pet, as an innocent habit or attitude, thinking we can handle them without any real risk and treat it flippantly, all the while placing ourselves in great mortal danger. James says desire leads to sin, and sin leads to what? Death. And this is not only a physical death, which we all will experience at some point, but it's a death that can occur in our spirit when we continue deliberately to follow in sin and that we, and we don't make the changes that we need to make in our lives. Some of us, for example, this morning, perhaps could be physically alive, but we're spiritually dead or maybe on life support spiritually. We can't remember the last time we felt the joy of the Lord. We can't remember the last time we prayed and got an answer. We can't remember the last time God did anything in our lives that could be attributed to God moving and God blessing. And one of the reasons that if that describes us that we're dead spiritually is because we don't call it sin anymore. We, we justify it. It's a phase. Poor judgment, a mistake. An alternative lifestyle, an arrangement. But the next step that is important, it's necessary, crucial in Avoiding and defeating temptation is to call it what it is, to face it, and to deal with it. Because if we don't, we will never move forward to be who God wants us to be. And then thirdly, we need to form a strategy for overcoming temptation to short-circuit the steps before it begins to form. And there are two things that we need to do if we want to overcome temptation. One is very simple but it's not always easy to do. Stay out of certain places. If you have a problem with alcohol, don't go to the bar to show how strong you are. If you have a problem staying sexually pure, don't hang out with people that you had a previous relationship with sexually. If you make sin available and it's a sin you enjoy, you're going to be in trouble. We get into trouble because we go places we have no business going to and hanging out with people we have no, no business hanging out with. We're not strong enough. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says we are to flee immorality, to run the other way. In other words, we know the lure is there. We can see the lure. We know the bait is there. We know what's behind the bait. We know the hook is there. And if we don't want to get caught, then we shouldn't swim around the bait. 
and play with it. We are to go the other way. Talk to any group of, strange, of, of teenagers about dating. And inevitably they're going to ask you, how far can we go? How close to the edge can we go before it's sin? Kissing, French kissing, petting, heavy petting, so on and so forth. In other words, if I get close enough and I don't get burned by smell like smoke, is it fire? Is it sin? Now, before we as adults get too uppity about this, we do the same thing. We try to get too, we try to dance on the edge sometimes with sin. I've done it myself to see how close we can get before we sin. And every time we kind of dance on the edge but don't get burned, we get a little bit closer to see how far we can push it. And eventually what happens? We slip and we fall in. It's not how close you can get to sin. It should be rather how far away can you get from sin. We have a choice. We can either live our life trying to avoid God and play as close as we can to the fire but not getting burned, or we can pursue godliness. You know, I cannot be in the wrong place if I'm in the right place. If I'm home in bed at a decent hour, I physically cannot be at a party where I'm tempted. We are to make choices and fill our lives with those positive things that God might occupy us and shape us and fill us and bless us and help us grow to become the people that he wants us to be. And when we do that, we will know the joy of being alive in Christ. And James tells us that God is the giver of all good gifts. When we deal with the matter of temptation, we have to ask ourselves, do I believe that? Or do I have to go get my own? Don't be deceived, James says. And Proverbs 7 says, keep my words, keep my commands, store them up within you, and you will live. And that's a promise both now and forevermore. Amen. Father, we come before you today and we thank you for the truth of your word. And Lord, I know temptation and sin is a topic that we all squirm with because we all have sinned and we all do sin. We all will sin. Um, Lord, we are people who need your help and we need each other's help and we need your word's direction. Father, we pray that, um, that you would help us through the power of your spirit and the truth of your word to pursue godliness, to avoid temptation, and to trust and believe that what you have for us is better than what somebody else is offering. Help us, Lord, to, to pursue you. And Lord, as we come to the table today, we, we thank you that, that Jesus Christ, though he was tempted in every way, like we are, he was without sin. And because he was, his death on a cross puts us right with you when we trust in Jesus. His death on the cross creates a possibility for us that we can see victory over sin and death that we don't have to be enticed, that we don't have to give in to temptation. And we thank you, Lord, as we come to the table, we are reminded that when we do fail, and we will at times, that because of what Jesus has done, our sins, both past, present, and future, have been forgiven. And we thank you for that. 
So, Lord, now as we come to the table, we commit ourselves to examine our hearts, to ask for your strength and your help, to confess our sin, and to renew our trust and belief in you, that what you offer us is far better than anything that Satan or the world dangles in front of us. We thank you, Lord, for the victory we can have through you. In Jesus' name, amen.